Hey everyone, welcome to episode three of the Lift Smart podcast. Uh, in this one, I had a real genuine pleasure to speak to Connor Harris, who is someone that I really look up to, uh, someone that I definitely take a lot of influence from. We got to speak about a few different things and a lot of what we actually spent our time talking about was about how the pendulum always seems to swing both ways in in fitness, in strength training, in coaching, and how it often ends up swinging so far to one end that it just creates a massive amount of compensation in the opposing direction, which is funny because that's actually how a lot of biomechanics also works and how a lot of our movement compensation strategies work too. So it's almost as though what we're seeing, you know, mirrored in in our physical strength and our pursuit of greater strength uh, is also happening almost on this like psychological aspect uh, with with a lot of coaching and a lot of um, the ideas that we discuss. And oftentimes the best solutions, just like biomechanics, just like strength, just like movement, come from simply staying in the middle and, and not really ascribing to any particular tribe, but just being willing to hear out many different and often competing perspectives and just simply use what will create the best result for the person that's actually sitting in front of you. So I hope that you enjoy the discussion that Connor and I have. Uh, if anybody has any uh, further comments, as always, please feel free to hop on YouTube, hop on our Instagram, uh, give us a follow, give us a subscribe, make sure to drop any comments uh, in the comment section there and uh, enjoy. Okay. Uh, hey, Connor, thank you for joining the, the Lift Smart podcast here. It's, it's still in its infancy, so I really appreciate you not only putting aside your own time, but like, you know, we, we don't have a huge platform yet, so it, it means a lot to me that um, someone that I, I really do respect quite a lot in the industry is taking the time to have a bit of a chat uh, about a few things. So I guess um, for the people that maybe are not as familiar with you, because I've been doing your mentorship, uh, you're not obviously the one coming up uh, right now, but the previous one to that, um, I've been doing that and I've been taking a lot from it. But for the people who are not in the mentorship or potentially who are not as familiar with you, um, maybe uh, an introduction might be good uh, for them, a bit of your background and, and who you are and what you do. Definitely. Well, I'm... I'm always happy to come on and chat with anyone that asks for my time and is curious about what I do. It's uh, it's humbling and it's always a fun time. So thank you for having me first and foremost. But as for me, I am um, I'm always at a loss of words what to call myself because I wear so many <laughs> hats. I have no idea what I am. If I'm being perfectly honest, I mean that's I definitely am, something I wanted to talk to you today about yeah. as well. Because yeah, you're like a, a bit of a polymath in strength yeah. world. I, I I am really passionate about a lot of different things within our field. I think the best term you could probably call me is like a mix between like um, God, I mean like a strength conditioning coach and like someone who's very passionate about biomechanics, but Mm -hmm. I also pull a lot from um, recently I've been diving into energy system development a lot, like a lot of Evan Pikin's work, uh, just messing around with Moxie devices. There's all this different stuff that I've been um, really just interested in and I'm being pulled in a lot of different directions right now. But I think most people know if you have heard of me before, um, you've probably seen me post something about biomechanics and that's where my first passion really was. Mm-hmm. And I got started really early on trying to be a high level strength and conditioning coach. I wanted to work with the best of the best. And I think a lot of people in our field start off that way. We want to work with the most elite athletes. We want to work with, uh, you know, pros at a professional mm-hmm. level. And for me, I really wanted to be in the NBA uh, or the okay. NFL. That's where I wanted to be. But I started to realize that, you know, it's not really what it was about. Uh, if you can feel, if you can make one person feel better why is that different than a professional athlete that's just like a, you know a social construct that we create and it's like it's almost mm. as if it's more valuable if you help one person that's a professional rather than multiple people that are uh, general population but I don't, I don't buy into that I think if you help one person 
then you're going to make just as big of an impact. On yeah, I mean, the, the experience is fairly universal, right? Like you, you're still addressing maybe not the exact uh, physical needs, but like the, the constraints that maybe injury or restriction gives to people still do the same sort of things like psychologically to people. So if yeah. you're helping them through that, then the experience, yeah, is pretty across the board. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just like, if you help one person, you're helping one person. N equals yeah. one. Like, it doesn't yeah. <laughs> matter who they are. But basically I got really passionate about biomechanics through um, getting a couple of internships early on in my life that were centered around the principles of Postural Restoration Institute or PRI for short, which is catching popularity more and more uh, with, with each year that passes by. But I happened to just get really lucky early on and be introduced to it at a time where I was completely just a blank canvas of a coach, just mm -hmm. really young. And most people get introduced to it when they already have their fundamental principles established. But for sure. me, those were my fundamental principles. So it was just very, very much a different experience that, than what people are uh, used to and used mm -hmm. to doing. And it's just a lot of luck, right place, right time. And I think because of that, I capitalized on an opportunity and I tried to learn as much as I could about this information, how you apply it, how you coach it, how you teach it. And that brought me into developing my biomechanics program. And I mean, I feel like now everyone and their dog has a mentorship, but it's still like, <laughs> it was still one of those things where I was lucky to, uh, lucky to start that right when COVID happened and it's grown uh, pretty significantly with each passing round of it. And I think now that I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on this stuff, like I still want to continue to uh, mold my craft, get better at mm. what I do. So now I'm diving into other realms and seeing how muscle physiology blood flow effects, um, how pain exists and how uh, our performance is enhanced or limited by it. And uh, there's just all this different stuff. Like I'm looking into, I've got a couple of force plates that I'm using to mm -hmm. research and sort of like do my own little studies on the clients that come into this gym. But to make a long story short, I really like biomechanics, yep. uh, <laughs> but that's not all I do. I wear a lot of different hats. Uh, therefore, I don't really have a specific title, but ultimately my goal is just to progress the field. I think that's really what I've honed in on. Like I want yeah. to be, I want to be someone who has made an impact on the people that I've interacted with and the field that I work in. Mm -hmm. So with like, uh, I mean, that's, you know, like you said, long story short, but it's still a, a relatively long detailed story, which is good, right? Like I, it, it's a, it's a better answer than just saying like, I don't know, like I like strength. So where, when it came to starting off your career, cause like you said, you got exposed to some different influences that other people, well, a, a lot of other people don't like in terms of like the strength training, um, personal training or coaching pathway what was that sort of like for you? You know, how you said the, the um, PRI was your sort of fundamental basis for learning. What was that like for you as opposed to the more, I guess, like structured and, and rigid? And I, I don't want to say limited, but, you know, it, it's different. It, it is different. And I guess it like we get given a lot of the time in these initial coaching things, just like, you know, the, the skeleton does X, don't let it do Y. And that, that's it. That's all you really need to know. Like, was it almost like, I don't know, confronting, bewildering, overwhelming, like, you know, going into something like PRI as your, as your very first experience as a coach? Yeah, I think um, the biggest, the biggest hurdle I had to overcome was that I had, you know, this was my sophomore year of college. So I had, you know, a general understanding of anatomy. And then all of a sudden I go to an internship and someone tells me, I disagree with almost everything you believe to be true about what causes um, issues, limitations, uh, all this stuff. And that's literally what he said. <laughs> and I was, <laughs> I was okay. like, all right, that's, yeah. <laughs> uh, not, not what I think right now, but all right, let's see what happens. <laughs> and I, tried to stay open-minded, which thank God I did, because it would have been very easy to not do that. And I think people still, 
I mean, it's easy for me to say it was my first real internship ever. Of course, I was going to be molded by it. And it's probably much harder for someone that's been in the field for 10 years. But mm. I think given the fact that I was still kind of taken aback and, you know, like I'm a young gun, I was like, hey, you know, I think I know some stuff about a lot of things. And it turns out I really did not. It, that was the hardest part was understand, like trying to adopt this framework, but not necessarily being married to it, because I don't mm -hmm. think any one system has all of the answers. I think you should choose and pick things that seem to work. And if they work, they work. And if they don't, they don't. Yeah. Uh, to some extent, you got to be good at it, too. Mm -hmm. But I think the fact that the person I learned PRI under had like a very solid fundamental understanding of what it was, but it's not like they were teaching courses, you know what I mean? So it's not like I was thrown into the deep end right mm -hmm. off the bat. This person was very brilliant and intelligent, but they were by no means a, a PRI instructor. So they were doing the basics and that's what helped sure. me because yeah. I was learning the basics. I was doing the basics and that's what I would encourage people to do if they're trying to get into something like this. Like don't jump in the deep end. Cause I guarantee you, like I've, I have people in my course right now that are totally overwhelmed if they didn't do something like take an anatomy class beforehand. So you got to understand like what the general idea is that you're working with before you try to apply it. And it's, it's a process just like mm -hmm. anything else. And because of that, having those solid foundational principles that allowed me to build a repertoire of skills and learn how to implement it with different populations. And that mm -hmm. was a really helpful thing. Um, it was just very ironic that I happened to work after that internship at the only other place in Oregon, my state, that happened to do PRI. And it was in a collegiate strength and conditioning setting, which is very rare to find someone who's that much into the principles of like respiration, joint positioning, all this other stuff. And he was applying it to a championship level baseball team. And to be a part of that was something that I think gave me the edge and gave me the confidence to then apply it to my own clients later on. Yeah. What, um, what do you feel like was particularly unique um, about that setting? Like, do you think that you know, maybe you you would have potentially had a different experience were it like um, like a collegiate weightlifting team as opposed to the baseball team because you, you know being into biomechanics obviously um, well sorry I shouldn't say being into biomechanics focusing heavily on biomechanics there's some like really different demands and really interesting systems that start to uh, crisscross when you're talking about like high velocity throwing and acceleration and, and things like that. Like, do you, like, what, what do you think really sort of informed um, your experience having started again with like, not only the PRI, but with the, the baseball team in particular, like, what do you think you got exposed to there? If I'm being totally honest, their sport matters, but it also to an extent doesn't matter. And okay. the reason for that is that we're humans. Mm -hmm. So humans tend to have a certain biomechanical presentation, regardless of whether you're right or left-handed, whatever you do, your sport, et cetera. And people tend to present the same, whether you're snatching 300 pounds or whether you're throwing a baseball 95 miles an hour, it, it's like you're still going to be a human and you're still going to compensate in relatively similar ways. Of course, I'm taking into account their sport and how that's affecting their compensation patterns and things like that. That's, that would be absolutely foolish to not do that. But at the end of the day, limited overhead mobility is limited overhead mobility for mm -hmm. a lot of people. And at the end of the day, limited hip extension is limited hip extension. And there's certain ways to get that back that are more or less effective for most people. So the beautiful thing is, is that, yeah, you can get lost in the weeds of like all this other stuff, but if you just have an assessment process that's objective and you can have interventions that objectively change that assessment result, for example, I measure your hip extension, I give you a drill, your hip extension is better. And then I pick a weight room exercise to help train you through that full range of motion of hip extension. That's mo that's 90% of people don't need any more than that. Mm -hmm. And the tests aren't going to lie. 
because you can't cheat them because you're not performing them yep. the other <laughs> and they feel it. So that's the thing. It's not like, it's not like you're just trying to throw mobility on someone. It's like, yeah, they can cheat to find that range of motion. No, I'm a real stickler about how much range of motion I want this person or how much deviation from the test I allow. And it is very, very little. Mm -hmm. So I make sure that they're aware of the parameters of the assessment. And if they deviate outside of them, then I know it either works or it doesn't. Mm -hmm. If your assessment improves as a result of the intervention I give you, and honestly, like one set of whatever should give you a change that is significant. And if it doesn't, then either I didn't pick the right, right exercise or I didn't coach it right. And from there, it's like, all right, let's just pick a different one. And there's the good thing is, is there's a lot of different ways you can skin the same cat, a thousand different ways you can do it. And there's not one right way, but there are common themes of what works for most people. So regardless of whether I have that weightlifter or baseball player, I still generally know what's going to get the adaptation that I'm looking for. I think the difference would be how you then implement it within their sport specific task. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like, um, it's really interesting. It, it, it's almost interesting, but then also like blatantly obvious, right? Like when, when we're like, oh, people are people, uh, ultimately, you know, we're all just sort of like bipedal humans walking around trying to figure things out. Um, what, what do you sort of make of, you know, you, you talk about uh, assessment there and not necessarily deviating from the assessment or deviating from, from what you're expecting to see, like you, you know, like you said, people typically respond in, in certain ways and, and you're looking for X, Y, and Z. I, I find almost like as, as a coach in the last couple of years, you know, I've, I've been coaching for like seven years in, in this, in the strength realm. Um, I've seen a few things come and go in that time. And what I've really noticed myself lately is like assessment almost seems to be like looking for something wrong and just focusing on the wrong thing instead of considering the context of the broader movement. And it's like, okay, you have a hip hitch. That must be the cause of the pain. Like we need to get you as symmetrical as possible. You know, your left shoulder is higher. We need to get that more symmetrical. Like, you know, we, we need to make these assessments symmetrical. It's like, I can't help but feel like a, a point is being missed here. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that like what what do you think why do you think we're sort of chasing symmetry and do you think that that's at all necessary to express strength i think because we're naturally asymmetrical like if you can agree we have a heart on our left side <laughs> i do side, agree yes liver on the right side then the, then the conversation is over like we're yep. asymmetric and there's no way that does not have implications on how we move the significance of which is up for debate but we do know that we're asymmetrical and there's a reason why most people are right-handed relative mm -hmm. to left that did not it's not like we flipped a coin and 80 to 90 percent of the time it was right over left it's very specifically for a reason and you know this, like you're, you're in the course, like you understand yeah. asymmetry is very much present. You understand that when we start to compensate via the path of least resistance to find what we don't have, we're going to end up using compensatory strategies that are effective in the short term, but maybe not in the long term. Mm -hmm. So because of that, you do kind of want to chase symmetry to a slight degree, but maybe not in the same way that most people would expect. It's like, I want my pelvis to be level. I want everything to happen equally on both sides of the body. And it's like, no, no, no. What you really want is you want to be able to get in and out of different positions. Can you get into your left hip and then get out of your left hip? When you get out of your left hip, can you shift into your right? And then when you're in your right, can you shift back out of your left? And can you alternate and reciprocate these joint actions on each side of the body? That's what I care about. If you can do that and your pelvis is a little uneven, I could not care less because you're mm -hmm. probably gonna be fine. And also, if you can do that, your pelvis probably isn't that uneven. So things usually fall into place when we stop chasing symmetry and we start chasing, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you assume these positions? Can you get into joint actions on one side of the body while you're doing the opposite and the other? That's just a gate, it's just walking. We're yeah. doing opposite things, alternating, 
And that's the goal because a lot of people get into this asymmetry stuff and they're like, oh, okay, I need to be able to make the left side exactly like the right side and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, you just want to be able to shift into the left, get out of it. And it's never going to be equal. Mm -hmm. It's never going to be equal because you can't override your body's asymmetry, but you can improve the options available to it to allow you to shift from side to side. And if you can do that, the good thing about our assessment process that we use is that I can't think of more than a couple of cases I've ever seen where someone passed all the assessments and they still have issues. Yeah. It's, it's really that simple. And yeah. if they do, they have cranial things going on. They have psychological things going on. And mm. that checks the box for, I can maybe think of three or four people I've ever seen. I pass all the assessments genuinely and still have issues. Yeah. What do you, um, I mean, like, you know, I, I, I think that's great. Like I, I, I not only completely agree, but it, you know, again, it just like fundamentally makes sense. It's like, okay, like you, you know, I don't think it makes a huge amount of sense to just assume that because my left shoulder sits slightly higher that that, must be the reason. I think it's probably like the easiest answer, but it doesn't necessarily make the most amount of sense, especially when you can't like chase it all the way down the chain, right? If you if you can't really tell me exactly why, then I, I don't think that's it. I I wanted to ask as well, like on the on the same basis, like when we see a lot of, especially over the last two years, it's all been like knees over toes, get your knees over your toes, like knees over toes is good. And I spoke about this in my previous podcast in that I feel like uh, a lot of the fitness industry is just like the pendulum just keeps swinging from end to end, right? It's just like never go knees past toes. And now it's like always knees past toes and knees past toes, knees past toes. But I, I guess it's good in the sense that it's taking away some fear for people, but from your perspective, when people start to talk about like knees going past toes resolves X, Y, and Z, like what's your take on it? And is it actually, you know, is it the knee that we should be focusing on? Like what, what do you think we should really be focusing on there for, in terms of like getting people to move better through their hips or, you know, what, where do you start? Like, how do you approach, approach that issue? I've got, knee pain i'm struggling to squat do we need to just start jamming people's knees over their toes or is there something that we should be chasing instead yeah i think there's some people on um the internet that really like to promote that <laughs> uh there's some people that really like i mean it's like hey what are you going to do to stand out that's flashy and going to attract attention you know it, it's just kind of like that situation but no, to say one size fits all on that is not accurate. It never will be. Mm -hmm. But I understand why the pendulum is swinging back to knees over toes because what people are obsessed with now is the stack. And it's can you yes. move your rib cage over your pelvis and all this and all that. And in order to do that in a squat, your knees have to go over your toes. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, that also requires you to pronate your foot, go into tibial and tone rotation. And then all this other jazz is going on. So it's it's like representative of a of a bigger thing. Toes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. When it comes to knees over toes, what people are usually talking about is the stack, right? So you got mm -hmm. your rib cage over your pelvis, and that's required to have that stacked position, meaning that you're in this neutral position. Your pelvis is like a bowl of water. That bowl of water would be nice and nice and flat. Mm -hmm. So in order to do that, you would be pushing your knees over your toes. If you turn your squat into a hinge, that water is going to dump forward out of the bowl and you're going to be extended, which is not necessarily a bad thing. If you're a power lifter, you probably do want that uh, because extension is power and force production. But people are obsessed with knees over toes a lot because it builds also resiliency within the knee joint, so to speak, and the tissues around it and the tendons and the muscles and co-contractions and all this other stuff. And I think it's representative of just something that's going on more globally. I don't think mm -hmm. the fact that you can push your knees over your toes means that you have healthy knees. I think it's 
okay, you can achieve certain joint positions, but again, it goes back to what we were talking about. Can you get in them? Can you get out of them? Mm -hmm. Sure, you can get your knees over your toes, but that doesn't mean anything for being able to get out of that position. What yep. knees over toes is, is a high degree of knee flexion, which means that your tibia is going into internal rotation, your foot's pronating, your femur is externally rotating. Great, if you got that, that's wonderful. Can you get out of that? And mm -hmm. that's where I'm, that's why I don't really care about that that much because there's other things that need to happen within the axial skeleton, which would be your whole skeleton minus your limbs. There's things that need to happen there as well. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I think the knees over toes thing has value, but I think people are misinterpreting it sometimes for like, this is what the Holy Grail is. It's not, this is just a, this is one position of your body. Yeah. And by the way, when do you ever need that extreme range of motion of knees going over toes? <laughs> when do you it's ever? It's like climb, climbing the stairs like five steps at a time or something. I'm not even sure. Yeah, no, it's yeah. like it's crazy. <laughs> but also like yeah, you, you, everyone needs their knees to go over their toes when they walk. Everyone. Yeah. But not to the extreme of like a sissy squat. Mm -hmm. Like that's, I don't see a tremendous amount of value in a sissy squat other than you can make the argument that it does build resiliency around the knee and the tissues around it, but that's not something I'd make a primary movement. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like at what point, like at, at what point are we, at what point are we getting people stronger or what point are we just like making them do stuff that's hard? Yeah. Right. Like, you know, it's like, okay, they can do it, but what's the application? What's the carryover? Like, what are they actually using it for? So, yeah, I, I, I can definitely vibe with what you're saying there. I find like dorsiflexion almost gets the same approach, like more dorsiflexion, more dorsiflexion, or, um, you know, like, uh, again, um, more external rotation of the hip, more external rotation of the hip, uh, more external rotation, I don't know, of the shoulder, like the shoulder external rotation is everything. It's everything. Like, I guess like what, what do you think is more fundamental to that? Because like everything I, I've described there is like, okay, we talked about the ankle, you know, a lot of people talk about the the shoulder. Like where do you start? Like what what do you think if you – the, like the single place, the most singular place that you think people would probably get the most bang for their buck. And of course, not everything applies. We absolutely know that I'll cop to that. I'm not trying to oversimplify um, at all because the human body is inherently complex. But what do you think people should just be spending more time on in, in maybe a more general sense? I think you can take two views to it and people have different ways of getting different results. Some people go, proximal closer to the center of the body to distal other people go distal further away from the body like the feet and the hands and then work towards distal or work towards proximal from distal mm -hmm. i have seen the best results and i have seen the best improvements in range of motion and movement options when we start proximal and work outwards from there mm -hmm. but also the beautiful thing about the exercises we talk about and the program is that there's usually always a foot reference. So it's not like we're only going after the hips or the rib cage. We're also incorporating some sort of foot reference, which is very, very important. I think both is probably the best answer, but really what the ranges we're trying to clear early on are the pelvis and rib cage measurements. Because mm -hmm. if those structures aren't working, how in the world are you going to get these other things to work if the thing most centrated to your body is not able to accept the ground reaction force or the ability for you to um, move your foot into pronation and supination. Like mm -hmm. everything is connected. I think we all understand that by now, but I've seen better results, at least within the context of the model I use of starting proximal and working outwards from there. Because if let's say like a foot doesn't pronate, great. You know what you need to pronate? You need internal rotation of your tibia, femur, and if you don't have that, then you're always going to be limited in, in pronation. If you can never get your hip to turn in a certain direction. Yeah. You can work on foot pronation all day long, but if your hip can't accept that, then it's kind of game over. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you might see slight improvements, but I've 
seen way more benef- way more amazing things happen with someone's ankles and ankle range of motion by going after the, their pelvis first before going after yeah. their foot. And that's not to say you can't do both at the same time. I think certain certain situations warrant that. Mm-hmm. But I think people should start to consider both and consider who am I working with or who am I? Like, for example, if you have eight ankle sprains on your right side and your foot's really supinated, you have a massive arch, which is usually what you see in that circumstance, you probably want to do some foot-specific pronation work, but you want to couple that with something that's going on higher up the chain, like some internal rotation of your pelvis work. Whereas if you're just someone who tweaked their ankle a little bit or you don't have enough squatting range dorsiflexion to get full depth, I would probably ask, is it really the dorsiflexion limiting you? Or is it the structure most closest to you that needs to move and go into different positions for you to be able to get your hips low enough in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've definitely found even, even with um, the people that I work with, like some of the best things for resolving limitations in dorsiflexion has been like just teaching them how to exhale powerfully. And all of a sudden, you know, their weight starts shifting back and, and things get a little groovier, a little bit nicer. So, um, yeah, I, I do think it's, it's really interesting with that. But um, again, like, you know, the, the fundamentals are, are pretty sensible, right? Like start, start at what's probably more critical to, to your survival and, <laughs> and kind of work, work out from there. But, what like I'd really like to know a, a couple of things as well as like you're educating at a pretty high level who inspires you at this point like who who really pushes you to want to be better and and what do you feel like is the process for you coming up with deeper ideas because you know I, I consider myself going into the your biomechanics program I was like holy shit like I I I was good with anatomy before self-professed. And then I went into the biomechanics program. Like I'm dumb. Like <laughs> I know, I know nothing now. I, I need to hit the reset button here, but what is that process? You know, I find that really motivating when I, when I have this like moment of humility, I'm like, man, there's so much I need to learn. There's so much I can learn. You're quite advanced. What is that process for you? Like, where are you still finding that who's who's pushing you to get better or, or how are you finding this like you know create this synthesis of new ideas or looking at things differently you know because as you get better that sort of circle probably gets a little smaller who is that for you what is that process for you like how are you approaching these problems with a with a new light and sort of not just getting locked into your own views how are you continuing to challenge those Oh yeah. I mean, honestly, I still have days where I think I don't know shit. Like honestly, anything. I don't know if that ever goes away based off of talking to people that have much more experience in this field than I do. Mm. Uh, it seems like those days will always be there and it's all relative to who you're talking to, who you're working with and all that. But I think, yeah, I might know some information that a lot of people in our industry don't know, but it, will become mainstream. I very much believe that because it yeah. works. This stuff doesn't lie to you, like we mentioned earlier. So it's going to become mainstream. The issue is, is like, how do I keep evolving? How do I keep getting better? So I keep yeah. a little bit. And that's like a selfish reason, but it's also like, why would you want to become complacent? So yeah, like style, right? You, you want yeah. to evolve with it. Yeah. Yeah. I've got so many things. I, I, I think there's I'm starting to reach outside biomechanics. Like I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, like I think blood flow has a massive implication on yeah. how our muscles work and react and all this stuff. Um, I think there's a lot of cranial influences, which is a little bit outside my scope as a trainer. And I can't get mm-hmm. too deep into that, but I can at least understand like how top down in terms of our cranium is affecting these things. And I'm starting to see that more and more. Um, and I think there's people that just take a different perspective. Like I'm taking Franz Bosch's course in August, which is, man, his new book, Anatomy of Agility, was one of the hardest reads uh, in our field. The dude is just operating on another plane of the yeah. in our field. <laughs> it's crazy. And uh, that's where I'm trying to get. Like I, at the same time, I want to become someone who 
has a broad scope of knowledge and a lot of different mm-hmm. things. And I need to start going outside of the little bubble on Instagram and uh, social media <laughs> yeah. that talks about these things because there is a bubble that forms mm-hmm. and that's not what I want to be a part of. I want to be outside of that. I don't want to be associated with the same people over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I want to be able to have my own thing that I work with. So in order to do that, I need to start asking myself who are people that get great results, but don't do anything remotely similar to me. Yeah. Bosh is one of those people. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot of people out there. Sure. I can keep progressing and learning with PR and I absolutely will, but I think we need to step out of our comfort zone a little bit and start asking different questions Mm -hmm. and looking into muscle physiology and, you know, co-contraction and all this other stuff and just get like just surrounding ourselves with people that are so different in what we do yeah yeah i remember looking at um uh, again like i'm a, I'm a strength coach like pain isn't my field I, i'm not a pain coach i'm not the pain guy i would never claim to be i'm a strength coach i work I, I help people get strong but when I started looking into things like nociception and pain gate theory and, and just a lot of different things like that, it's like, well, like this is, you know, this is amazing as, as much as like, I love the sport of powerlifting. There's so much potential that we can give to people while staying within our scope of practice. I think like you said, it just gives you a level of understanding of the people that you're in front of. And you can just probably at the end of the day, just be more patient with them. Right. Like just, just understand and, and gain more empathy, I, I think, for, for the, the myriad of things that people experience and go through. So, like, how do you resolve operating at the level that you do, having the depth of understanding that you do, and still working one-on-one with clients, right? Like, how, how do you, because a lot of people, I think, I, I don't like the idea of assuming that a client is, uh, you know, dumb or won't understand something. People are, are pretty good for the most part, but how do you resolve knowing what you know with communicating what you have to communicate in the moment? Like, you know, what is that process for you? How do you resolve having that depth of knowledge, working with someone that doesn't have that same level of experience and, getting them to you know the result getting them to the end game filtering out what you have to filter that's a good question i think what i do in my brain my process is that being an educator you have to you have to simplify things a little bit but to work with a client you have to simplify things three times as much so my rule is take the language you were going to use and talk to a, a fellow coach with and then for lack of a better term, and I don't mean this derogatorily, but mm-hmm. dumb it down three more yep. levels. And then you're there. So go a level deeper, go a level more shallow, actually, that you think will make sense. Do another one and then do another. Like mm-hmm. that's that's how simple I have to make it for my clients. And an example of that would be, why do I need to... Um, get why are we working on this internal rotation drill what even is that i'll say your leg bone needs to turn in like this when your foot is like this if that doesn't happen you're gonna do this with your hip bone and that is that is as complex as i need to make it for most people (laughs) because my bias is that i've always grown up with this so i struggle to understand what the average person thinks about when yeah, it's they, like your normal, right? My normal. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's something I've had to really humble myself with when it comes to like teaching these concepts. I always think, why doesn't this make sense to you? This is so obvious. But yeah. then it's like, no, you're just, this is all, you know, and then it's, it's my fault yeah. because I shouldn't assume that about people. It's like, they don't, they don't know. And that's had to be, that's had to be a process I've gone through myself of like, this is normal to you, but mm-hmm. pretty much no one else. And that's what I have to remind myself of. And I have to 
I think I have it down now a little bit to where I can really bring it back. And that's a skill that I have is simplifying these concepts into something that makes sense. I know some people will say these concepts should not be simplified, but I disagree. Mm -hmm. I think that they should, if it works, some people don't need to know why it works. Some people just need to have the results of the intervention yeah. without needing to know all this other jazz and even coaches to some extent, some coaches will never like fully grasp it. And that's okay. If they can mm -hmm. make someone feel better, that's all I really care about. Yeah. It's like the result. Right. And it's yeah. like the, the concept should probably be like complex in understanding, but simple in communication, right? Like yeah. com complex doesn't have to be complex. The, the entire way down, I don't have to tell somebody to like, you know, retract or internally rotate your rib cage if I just tell them to breathe out. Right. Yeah. So right. what um I I pretty much always end the podcast with this. And it's two questions. Mm -hmm. Um I've really enjoyed all of this discussion so far as well, Connor. Thank so you. thank you. Mm -hmm. What's one thing you wish in Strength training, powerlifting, fitness circles, what have you? What's one thing that you wish uh, or you're hoping will go away and why? And then what's one thing you're hoping will stick around? Mm, that's a good question. I think the one thing I wish would go away is the idea. This is what I see on social media in particular, and people spend a lot of time on social media. So I think it's fair to bring this up. Mm -hmm. People have a tendency to be very, very opinionated on a certain, because like the thing with fitness is that there's only so many things you can talk about to when you start to run out of things to talk about. Yeah. And you run out of things to say, and you run out of ways to make yourself stand out. So what people tend to do is they tend to pick on other people. They tend to mm -hmm. pick on other things. And while that helps you build a tribe around your concepts and the way you do things, you're also going to make those other people feel alienated. You're going to make mm -hmm. those people feel like they're doing something wrong when maybe that's what they need to do. Maybe some people just need some confidence. Maybe some people just need a, a helping hand along the way, but people have a tendency to say, this is right. This is wrong. This is good. This is bad. This is stupid. This is great. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't disagree with that more because like, yeah, I think we've beaten the idea of context, like a drum and like every coach loves to use that word, but it's yeah. like, yeah, that's fair. But at the same time, I think a lot of people say that, but don't actually use that in practice. Yeah. And they're always saying something on social media about like, this is what it is, or they're posting something they don't fully understand, or they're mm -hmm. just, they're really just trying to form a tribe in their own social media following so that they can stick out. Yeah. To me, that's sad. And that's really pushing more people away from the things that help them than bringing mm -hmm. people in. And that's just an unfortunate reality. And that's how it works in order to stand out. You have to be different. And yeah, it's like, you, you just have to keep, it's like that whole tribalism idea, right? It's like once you get people like as consumers, once you get like a particular type of consumer consuming, your goal isn't to get more consumers. It's to get those same people like re-consuming and it's becoming like deeper and deeper and deeper into the tribe until it just becomes almost like angry and aggressive. And I, I like I myself have been guilty of this over, over the years for sure I have, but just you know, we, we can't discredit that, that like, that like phenomenological experience, like, right. Like when, when someone comes into the gym and they're like, I worked with this person and I feel better. It's like, how, like, how are you going to tell them that they're wrong? Like they feel better, right. They, they feel better and they're showing up. Like what, what's the goal at the end of the day is to make people feel better and show up. Like people will go to different people for different things, but if if everybody's making everybody feel good what's what's the issue ego if it, yeah. <laughs> if it works things either work or they don't yeah and if it works then you probably should keep doing that it might not be optimal but if it works and this person feels like they're getting something out of it and they're progressing that's what it is do you find i i've noticed this a little bit and i have to check myself with it 
pretty frequently because like, I think it's one of those things where I just find it um, very confronting to my currently held beliefs. And I like, I, I just have this like gut reaction to want to burn it to the ground. And I don't know why it is like th- this trend towards more intangibles in coaching. You know, we were so focused on like the measurables and, and the accessible. And now it seems almost like everything's shifting towards more, mindset internal environment you know that that kind of thing i'm Mm. seeing that come up a lot and to me i i you know we all talk mindset we all talk psychology with the people that we work with but i don't know i i'm I'm not a huge fan of it i feel like we may be focused on the the physical stuff for so long that now it's swinging back the other way and going to the mental but what, what's your take on that? Maybe it's just me that's noticing it and I could be completely imagining it, but I just feel like that's a bit of a trend right now. Yeah. I think it depends like who you follow, how you follow them and like yeah. who you're with for sure. I think um, the beautiful thing about what I do is I don't have to focus on that. Like yeah. my thing, <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. this is going to improve it or it's not. And yeah. your mindset is like a separate thing outside of that. So I don't know if I'm the best person to answer that question, but I do know what you're talking about. I have seen it. No, and I mean, I, I think that's an answer in itself, right? Like, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I understand what you're saying. hundred percent. Like I, I've seen it. And again, I think it's just another one of those things. It's like, how is this person trying to make money? You know, yeah. like, what is this person trying to do to stand out? Mm-hmm. And when I take that lens into a lot of social media posts, when I take it into like how coaches conduct themselves, I think things seem to become a bit more clear, if you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, intention is is always really important. But like you said, I, I'm I'm firmly in the camp of like, did it work? Like, yeah. did, the, did the thing do the thing? The thing um, do the thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. One, one thing you're hoping sticks around. What, mm. what do you think it sticks around or grows? What do, you, what do you want to really see sort of like keep going? I think that there is a, in terms of at least what I do, there is a um, progressive, a progressive sort of um, mindset <laughs> that is, <laughs> that is um, beginning to sweep. Uh, a lot of the younger coaches. People are much more open-minded. People are much more willing to seek out new ideas, at least from what I can tell. And that can have its pros and cons. People can be a little bit too anxious for the next best thing. But I think that the beautiful part about being online is that we are sharing these ideas and we are spreading this information for free. I give out most of my information for free. If I'm being totally honest, most of my, you could, if you really studied what I do for like three months, you could probably get most of my biomechanics program. Yeah. (laughs) But it's like the application that people are missing, right? Though, Yeah. The whole thing is there if people want. (laughs) And the issue is that, you know, like people want someone to spell it out for them. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, people like that step-by-step progression. But I think it's beautiful that you can just go on the internet and know how to change someone's life for the better just because you read something. And I think that is a great thing. And I think that people are more open-minded about this stuff now. And Mm -hmm. I think it's a matter of time before people are realizing like you can literally change someone's life just by being open-minded considering other perspectives outside of your own, because if you don't, you're going to get left behind. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then someone else down the road from you is going to be taking your business. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like the, the reason I signed up for your course in the first place is because I initially found a lot of the ideas confronting mm. is I was like, um, what's like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, and instead of, um, you know, like, uh, like I said, like burning it to the ground and salting the earth, I stopped and was like, wait, I don't know enough about this to have an opinion yet. So I'm going to sign on to the course. And if I feel the same at the end of the course, then I was probably right. But I don't feel the same. My mind's completely changed and I'm completely open to this stuff. But it, But even then it's like, that, that moment of pause where it's probably worth, like if you have this like really visceral uh, reaction to something, you you shouldn't 
attack your the the thing that you're reacting to you should probably assess like the reaction you should be like why am why am why am i finding this so confronting it's probably because it's challenging some firmly held beliefs of mine and they should be challenged because that's the only way i'm going to get better and you know i i would fully say a lot of the things that i've learned throughout the uh, duration of that course have helped me have helped the people that i work with and it's it's when you start to challenge those those borders right like when when you start to sort of probe around your your currently held beliefs that you get better otherwise you're literally just staying the same and like you said you know the industries no one's waiting for you like mm-hmm. you know the the industries it's going to keep going so if you're not doing the same if you're not checking everything that you do and have been told then it's it's game over I couldn't yeah. have said it better. Um, okay, Connor, I, I reckon that's that's pretty good for today. Um, if people are wanting to contact you, uh, get a hold of you, or uh, look at signing up for your program, uh, which is starting in August, I believe, yeah. uh, where can they find that information? They can go to my website, thepinnacleperformance.com, or they can just go to my bio where in on instagram it's connor c-o-n-o-r underscore harris underscore after that and if they do that then things should be really easy from there yeah it, it, it actually is that easy i can attest to that um yeah thank you so much for your time connor i really appreciate it it was uh yeah definitely a lot to take from that conversation i'm probably going to go back and listen again myself so um yeah, I hope you uh, have a good rest of your day, man. And uh, I'm sure all the listeners will appreciate the discussion here as well. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Uh, I will uh, continue studying and likely talk to you soon. Cheers. Sounds good, man. Cheers. So there we have it, guys, our discussion with Connor Harris there. Um, you know, really covered a lot of ground, really interesting stuff. Hoping to be able to speak to him again in the future. If anybody is interested, his biomechanics uh, program, his education course, absolutely phenomenal. You know, I've done a lot of it myself. Really heavily influenced not only what what I do as a coach, but really how I approach problems now and just such, you know, a, a way more open open mind to things and and just really approaching it from a fundamental, you know, first principles basis. I just want to give a quick shout out here to Henley Beach Protein Company. Uh, they've really been a great source of support for us. It's a protein company that I not only firmly uh, believe in, but love their products as well. So if you're looking for uh, any kind of alternative to the the mainstream products that are often uh, on offer, especially if you're in Adelaide, Henley Beach Protein Company is where it's at, guys. Fantastic products, great purity there, and really solid tasting. So as always, uh, keep training hard, and I will see you guys all next week.